0: Hello there, it's Sue here from Real Estate Right. We are so lucky to have Amelia Lee, the Undercover Architect, on today. She's the host of Get It Right with Undercover Architect, and we are going to talk about how to buy a home with functionality in mind rather than trend. I'm so excited. Welcome to Real Estate Right, where we talk to top experts on how to buy, sell, rent and invest right. Your hosts are Grant Kennedy and Sue Langada. Amelia Lee is an award-winning architect with over 25 years industry experience in over 250 projects, including three of her own she did with her husband. After a career in private practice, working for a large residential developer, and then co-owning her own architectural practice, Amelia started Undercover Architect in mid-2014, and now works with thousands of homeowners each year through her online courses, podcast, and blog. Undercover Architect operates mainly online and helps and teaches homeowners how to get it right when designing, building, or renovating their family homes. Whatever your dreams, your location, or your budget, and whomever you're working with, Undercover Architect is your secret ally welcome Amelia. Yay! How are you? I'm well Sue, how are you? Yeah good thanks. So Amelia, what got you interested in architecture in the first place?
1: Uh, <laughs> it's a big question. I um, I actually decided I wanted to be an architect when I was about 16 years old. Yeah. So um, I I was weighing up doing either advertising or architecture. I really wanted to do something creative uh, with whatever I was doing for my career. Yes. And I'm a bit of a planner by nature. And um, I did some work experience in architecture and didn't really enjoy it. And so I tested out architecture as an alternative. And uh, it seemed to be a really good marriage between... I suppose a pragmatic and a real application of a Mm. creative endeavor to be able to see something that you've uh, thought up and imagined become a a real space and a real building that people get to occupy and enjoy um, seemed to be really attractive to me. So yeah, I, I basically went straight in from uh, school uh, did my degree and then continued working and a couple of times I've tried to leave it yes. <laughs> it's a very challenging career particularly uh once you have kids it's uh it's yeah. not really something that uh it doesn't really allow for a lot of uh, lifestyle balance in some sectors of the industry. And mm-hmm. so I found that, you know, early in my career, I was doing a lot of uh, public work. I worked on the Sydney Olympic site um, sort of through yeah. my last few years at university and uh, first couple of years out Yeah, and uh, all of those lighting towers that are down the main boulevard and all of the street furniture. And That's you. <laughs> yep. I helped work on those as a very young um, graduate. Yeah. And, uh, and then I found sort of, uh, yeah, I just couldn't. I couldn't see how I could work like that and have a family. And mm-hmm. it's very all-consuming. And the w- well, the way that I did it was very all-consuming. And mm-hmm. so, gradually over the years, I started to shape and shift my career to help balance having kids and yeah. uh, having you know family life. Mm-hmm. And for me, that involved obviously working in residential, and I got you know more qualifications in property economics, and I worked inside a development company. Uh, For some time, I was part of their senior design team, and I think that you know it was really interesting to see. Looking in hindsight, I can see how my career has kind of led me to where I am now. Yeah, Uh, but at the time, it was really just always making the best choices for us as a family and for being able to really, I suppose, use my architectural skills and my architectural knowledge. My husband and I have also done three renovations of our own, so Mm -hmm. being able to package up sort of all of that information and knowledge and experience in a way that would just help the most number of people possible. And yeah. so, yeah, it's been a, architecture a beautiful career in terms of there being so many avenues that you can yeah. pursue and it not necessarily needing to be about you being particularly artistic or, um, you know, there's, there's loads of architects that I know that aren't, Uh, aren't really really um, high sort of creative people but are incredibly good project managers or incredibly Mm -hmm. good contract administrators or incredibly good at managing a team to bring out the best in the team so Mm -hmm. it's um, it's a beautiful multi-dimensional career that I think anybody can really carve a path in if they want to Um, it's just a case of you figuring out what's going to suit you so yeah it's and as I said I've tried to leave it a few times but it's always drawing me back so yeah. <laughs>
0: it's yes it's fun. funny how it does that I know that with with my copywriting I've you know been I've, I've tried to create new avenues for different income streams and and you know I always get yeah talked back to coming back so yes I know how you feel okay <laughs> so now, I go into a lot of homes to write advertising copy and see on-trend designs that you know will be the next cream brick classic in five or ten years' time. Current trends are rendered facades or different textured facades, uh, black tapware, caesar stone tops, European oak floors. So how do we stop ourselves from being caught in the trap of stylish and go for the more practical?
1: It's a really tricky one because I think we've been fed a diet of seduction by image, you know, seduction by styling and, uh, and, and a lot of what we see in styling and in the way that Holmes is presented is really about that aspirational, you know, wouldn't you like to live like this type of sort of Mm -hmm. imagery and really getting people to place themselves and picture themselves sort of living this ideal life or this ideal kind of dream existence that, that environment is supposed to offer Mm. and I think what's really challenging is that unfortunately that's been married with uh the it being delivered in a really low cost way where a lot of um, lower cost materials are used that aren't necessarily durable or high performing Mm. for particularly for family homes Mm. Uh, family homes do take a lot of punishment over the years that we live in them and so I think that it's it's really uh it's really challenging because we can bring to that journey of uh whether it's building or renovating or buying the expectations that we have on what it looks like to be successful what it looks like to have a home that reflects all of our hard work what it looks like to have a home that's relaxing and welcoming and it can be really hard to detach that from what that might look like in a presentation sense Mm. um, from the the environments that we sort of see and I think that for me, I always encourage homeowners to really kind of step back, try and get to that helicopter view of what are you trying to achieve with Mm. every step that you're taking? So whether it's buying a home, it's building or renovating, it's generally going to involve a very sizable investment of money. Mm. um, And that might be something that you've saved or you know, you're going to be paying back for a long time. And so it's really a case of seeing how does that financial decision fit into your overall lifestyle goals? And then where does that line up with what you're actually seeking to achieve overall for, you know, your future with your family, um, all of those other types of things. And so I think that when people can get to that helicopter view, they can start making more objective decisions that aren't so attached to that, I suppose, that aspirational, um, uh, you know, stretch that we're sort of seeking and really looking at, okay, how does that house really uh, going to deliver on my everyday life? Mentally rehearsing, how do you live in a house? You know, studying, I, I encourage, um, you know, i talk to a lot of my online course members about being a design detective, really going mm. into spaces and looking at how are people using them, where is it frustrating them? As an architect, that's a bit of an occupational hazard. You sort of walk around looking at how well are people doing in the spaces that they're living in and what is causing them daily frustration and and annoyance. And it's really then thinking, okay, when I walk into a space mentally rehearsing, will this, you know, where will I put down my bag when I walk in? Where will I put my keys? How is the light moving through this space? Does it look like it's going to be cold in winter? Mm. Um, Does, you know, all of those finishes and fixtures and those kinds of things are things that can be switched out and changed and updated um, down the track when budget and time allows but the bones of a house the 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 way the rooms are arranged the way it connects with the 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 site the way the site is configured uh, whether the site you know is naturally oriented well it faces the sun moving in the right direction whether it's Mm. got any issues around services or water all those kinds of things all of those types of things are fixed in place Mm. so it's really detaching from the I suppose the the aspirational expectations that you have about what it looks like to be a grown up and have a, a house yes. that, that looks the right way with yeah. what's actually going to serve you in yes. your everyday life, what's going to serve you in your goals for your mm. family and what's going to serve you in sort of the long term, you know, lifestyle
0: dreams that you have. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. it's funny that you say that because since COVID's happened, it's amazing how many homes that I go into where people go this house isn't serving us anymore because we can't both be working from home because we're both on top of each other or we're, you know, we can't be homeschooling or, and, and they're looking at the design elements of their homes and going, this is not working for us at all. And we know we could be in this situation long-term, even if it isn't because of COVID, but because society has worked out we need that work-life balance there's a lot of philosophers out there thinking that this COVID thing is it's meant to happen for a reason and the reason is that we have to readjust our lives to suit our lifestyles and have a bit more of a happiness working for us so do you agree?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think that you know we were already spending a lot of time indoors it was just potentially inside our workplaces rather than in inside our homes Mm. and I can't tell you how much effort, research, energy, money has been invested in what do offices and our work environments need to do in order to support our well-being. You know, there's a yeah. whole sector of the industry that is dedicated to figuring that out, and it's seemed to have a direct ROI on the exercise of designing office floor plans. You know, mm. developers who develop office buildings will, will hire consultants to assist them to plan how is this... Building going to deliver the best uh, health and and uh, you know sort of healthy environment for the because they know that it improves work but worker productivity they yes. know that it improves um, the potential amount that they can lease those office spaces for it improves the yield that they get on those offices yet that has been com- it's it's been it's not it's not it's been ignored. absent but it's not been, it's not been overt in the way that we go about our homes there are lots yeah. of people in the industry who make it their goal to teach and help homeowners understand this, but it's not how the industry is marketed. No. The industry is marketed on those glossy images. And when you're looking at buying, building, or renovating a home, you are fed those glossy images. Mm. And it's great to see, uh, you know, one of the, the, the unfortunate silver linings of COVID is that we are spending a lot more time at home and people are questioning is this environment serving me the way that it needs to? Is this house going to support me if I do have to spend a long time here? And what can I do to make improvements? And Mm. chances are, it's not, I need black tapware. It's I need this floor plan to work better so that I can have separation from, you know, some acoustic privacy, some, I don't need to feel like I'm living, eating and sleeping all in this, you know, and working all in the same place that I can exert some sort of inspiration from my work, yeah. my work life. You know, I've been working from home pretty much all of my career since I've had kids. Yeah, And so it's always been part of my thinking about every house that we look at. But for many people, this is their first experience mm-hmm. of it. You know, they've been OK to work at the dining table for a couple of hours on a weekend. But when they're doing that full time, that's a very different exercise. So I'm really interested to see what this does for the way that we design houses mm-hmm. moving forward and the ch- and i 'm seeing you know the undercover architect community definitely has a large um, portion of people who are very keen to do sustainable homes that support their health and well being and support the well being of the planet as well, yeah, and I think that 's going to be much higher demand from uh, people generally so i 'm really excited to see what comes from it
0: yeah, so am I because like i don 't know how many houses I go into where you 've got Uh, like especially those side-by-side townhouse designs where you've got the study at the front it's all open you've got the next living room it's all open to the hallway you've got the open plan living area at the back it's all open upstairs you've got another retreat it's all open there's four spaces within a whole house which are all living spaces with no doors to close off to that acoustic privacy so it will be interesting to see how, how we we change those dynamics so yeah So next question, why is it that a lot of buyers or home builders lean towards including what's trending in their homes rather than thinking of the practical application of the home?
1: Oh, no. Well, I think that I know that a lot of people are really worried about overcapitalising. They recognise that it's a really big investment and Mm -hmm. we are definitely, you know, particularly in Australia, we're told, you know, you really need to be sensible about this and think about the resale value of Mm -hmm. every decision that you're making. But I think that what happens then is people get trapped into thinking, well, that means that I have to make this house be on trend and that has to appeal to, to the greatest number of people. And I always encourage homeowners to realise that they can make decisions that are authentically connected to them and how they need to live without it being polarising to future buyers mm-hmm. and that you can position any property uh, based on it being attracted to future buyers while still making really good design decisions for you personally. So... You know, there's something to be said for homes that authentically reflect and connect to who you are as a person and as a family and Mm. how you want to live. And that can be balanced with making those sort of decisions. And I think, too, we also forget how long it can often take to realise a home from the point of making a decision to buy or build or renovate to it being a completed Mm. home that we might be living in. That can sometimes be, you know, two, three, even five years. And trends will move in that time. So I do see a lot of people being really worried that they're going to choose something really trendy, but then at the same time, they still sort of go ahead and do it. So, Mm. and we are, you know, you look at all of these designs that have been done by designers and then Kmart will bring out their very kind of low cost disposable version of it. Mm. We are, um and I'm seeing people question it but we're kind of fed this diet of consumption turnover consumption turnover consumption chuck out you know consumption turnover kind of thing
0: and that may change soon too
1: yeah and I'm I'm seeing that a lot of people are sort of saying okay what 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 can I use instead that's a bit more timeless what can I what can I have that is easier to switch out like soft furnishings or a paint color on a wall Mm. or artwork or those kinds of things that is something that can create character and and uh, you know that sense of style in my home, but it doesn't necessarily require me to completely, you know, expensively replace it mm. in five ten years time. Yeah, so.
0: definitely. So, what should we be working out with what we want to achieve within our home before we buy or build? So, like lifestyle goals, obviously fitting in with our family. Um, yeah, I think it can be really challenging for people to think, particularly who are
1: buying their sort of long-term or forever family home, mm. to even envisage what it's going to need to be and perform, you know, for them over the long term. If, you, if you're if you buying a place or renovating or building a place and you've got little ones, mm. um, you know, thinking about what a house might need when they're teenagers or even in their late you know, late teens, early 20s, kids are living at home a lot longer these days, mm. you know, that can be really challenging. So. For me, my key criteria, I always look at orientation first. So orientation is uh, where basically the home works for how the sun moves. Mm -hmm. So you know, the sun rises in the east, sets in the west, and in the southern hemisphere, it moves through the north. Mm -hmm. And when we understand this and we design our house to respond to it in a site-specific way, um, or we choose a house that's been built to respond to it in a site-specific way, Mm -hmm. it Dramatically impacts the way that we get to live every day. You know, natural light is proven to be essential for improving our health and well being. It lowers anxiety. All you have to do is look at a cat and the way that they follow around the the warmth during a winter's day to
0: see.
1: (laughs) I've got dogs that do that. And I think that, you know, whenever my husband and I, you know, we've um, bought several properties and renovated and i wouldn't I would always look on Google Maps at any house that was uh, on the market, mm. and I would examine the orientation and if it didn't have a suitable orientation then i wouldn't even go to the open inspection it just wouldn't be on the radar yeah. and my mum always did that as well she yeah. always looked for particular orientation when she was buying and and um, selling property and I think that uh, it's one of those things that if you can get a well-oriented site, then you can generally make most floor plans work, um, particularly for a new, new house, of course. But you can often reconfigure existing houses uh, when you're renovating yeah. in order to get them to be better designed. So, yeah, for me, that's, that's one big thing is the orientation. Mm-hmm. Then it's a case of looking at if you're uh, a family and you have, you know, you're thinking about obviously having your long-term forever family home. How can you create those strong indoor outdoor connections? We often look at the house itself and you know the bounding edges of the house, but we forget that if we're buying a block of land, we're paying for the whole block of land and we want to optimize the ability to use that whole block of land and create those strong indoor outdoor connections. So we can not only physically use them, but we can borrow on the benefits of space and light and volume from how our house might extend to those outer areas
0: and to the spaces beyond. But you also have so, views of, of neighbors, so if you're getting you know your back neighbor's like got something really tall like a double story home you know right on your back fence versus a nice hedge or something you'd rather the nice hedge or knowing that you've got the park across behind you or all those sort of things
1: yeah definitely yeah I think you can always design for privacy so where where you do have sites where you've got a lot of overlooking and things like that you can do things to cut those site angles uh quite well when you're designing so you know I know that we, where my husband and I, the, the second house that we bought, uh, it was sitting on a, we sort of went around on the open inspection and had a look at it. And, you know, the site worked orientation wise, and I could see how we could extend it and get that to work really well. And it was, you know, a house with really good bones, but mm-hmm. the backyard, it was sitting into a hillside. So the neighbor behind sat a story above the, our house, and then it had two stories. So literally the back of that neighbour looked directly down into the back of this house. So the very first thing that we did when we moved in was we planted bamboo along that back fence line yeah. and within, um, within 12 months we couldn't see that neighbour behind us. So, you know, there's all, this, you know, there's all those kinds yeah. of things. That um, And yeah. then part of the reconfiguration of that floor plan was to orient the view to the side, which was where north was, and to the street to be able to it was at the end of a cul-de-sac so that we could basically redirect attention and focus to where there was space and light and mm-hmm. away from where we were getting that overlooking and we made sure that the back of the house was privatized so there are yes. always things that you can do to sort of work around and landscaping can be a really good device with that but yeah orientation and those indoor outdoor connections and you know i see so many homeowners uh, they'll have little ones and they'll buy a house where it's two stories down to get to the back garden and it's a packed lunch to ever, you know, go outside and play. And that can yeah. be a really tricky thing when you've got little ones. So um, yeah. really sort of thinking about and that a thing again of mentally rehearsing, how are you going to live in that space
0: every day? Because yeah. there was a, an era, what, 60s and 70s where, yeah, they had the kitchen and the living spaces at the front and the bedrooms at the back and then you had to go down the side pathway to get to the backyard, which was huge but no one used it because you couldn't see the kids.
1: Yeah, and a lot of those um, older houses where the toilet was at the back because that's where the septic used to be and, you know, sometimes the toilet and the laundry had the best spot in the house in terms of that indoor-outdoor connection. So it is, you know, a lot of those things can be reconfigured if the orientation Mm. is right. Um, Or if you're, you know, if you've bought a house that's north-facing to street, then looking at how can you privatise your front garden, and orient your living spaces to the front yard so that you're making the most of that orientation. So it's, yeah, there's lots of things to sort of put into balance, but it's really that orientation for me is a kicker because oh, yeah. if you if you keep it as a criteria, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, it's so expensive to have a sustainably designed house. And it's like, well, it's not if you prioritize that as your decision making up front yeah. and everything is led from there. So it's, yeah. Um, yeah and the natural light is, a, is you can go 80% of the way to sustainability yeah. in terms of, yeah. heating and cooling costs and everything like that if you optimize the sunlight but i'm finding more and more you know obviously undercover architect deals with thousands and and helps thousands and thousands of homeowners every year Mm. it's not it's not necessarily commonly understood information i and i think the real estate industry can be quite guilty of sort of selling north-facing houses but they're actually north to street and so people don't People don't understand where north needs to be right. yeah. for, for it to be optimal for your property. It, it needs to
0: be private. So it needs to be private on the side, private at the back.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well it's and it's also about how you can get exposure on that side for the sunlight that you need. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of times people will say to me, Well, we live in Australia and it's, you know, hot. I don't need to I don't need to worry about sunlight because it's hot, particularly in Queensland, a lot of people say yeah. to me, Oh, I bought a south-facing, south-to-rear to house that's okay because it's really hot. It's like, well, you can manage the heat but you want natural light and you mm-hmm. want natural light that moves across the day and that that only comes from the north. So yeah. it's, and you know, through that kind of east-to-west arc. And it's, yeah, it's not something, it's obviously not taught in our schools. No, it's not something that's commonly understood. And I spent a lot of time in free Facebook groups and speaking with thousands and thousands of homeowners. So many do not know why orientation is key thing and it's just yeah I keep telling people over and over again start there yeah it makes everything else beyond that um much easier to do. So
0: yeah. I'm with you with that one that's for sure. If we are considering decor, what are some elements that seem to last the test of time?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I think that if you're you know if you're looking at the the types of selections to make in terms of things that you are keen for them to be not something that will go out of fashion yeah um and you want to ensure that they're going to suit you sort of over the long term Mm. there's a couple of things that i encourage people to consider yeah so one is i always recommend that you build in the things that are going to um are going to be expensive and difficult to change down the track so i see people doing things like uh, particularly if they're renovating or building they might be scrimping on uh the windows for Mm. their home the windows might be dropping all the heights of them or reducing the extent of them so that they can afford the big kitchen that they want with the butler's pantry and the expensive finishes and fixtures and so you can always expand the kitchen later Mm. but you can't change out windows and doors very easily so um, I always recommend that you sort of think about the things that are going to go into the bones of the house Mm. and uh, choose those for longevity and for durability and for performance and then think about the fixtures that can be switched out quite easily down the track if you want to upgrade them so um, in terms of long-term durability that's sort of another thing to really think about when you're picking finishes particularly for a family home so Mm -hmm. things like your kitchen tap for example you know you will be handling that several times a day a lot of people will um, not be able to budget necessarily for the high end really kind of stylish tapware so they'll choose the knockoff version that's much lower cost and then within three months it'll be rattling on the benchtop and it will be you know the it'll be leaking and not doing a great job and it's something that you're going to be handling every day and it'll be incredibly frustrating for you so i i find that people people can get really nervous about uh, choosing things that they feel are too directional or that are too I suppose on trend. A lot of this time, it's people not trusting their own sort of sense of taste or style Mm -hmm. or intuition about things. If there's something that you can't go past, perhaps it's a light fitting, or it's um, it's a particular colour, or it's a stone, you know, that you've you've thought that you'd love to have in your benchtop or your ensuite or something Mm like that, or a tile. You know, tiles are actually something that. Uh, I see a lot of people get scared about and want to choose something that's quite bland, mm-hmm. um, even though they've fallen in love with the really strong kind of feature pattern tile. It's yeah. so like, we'll put it somewhere where you think, you know, that it's uh, quite easy to switch out and replace down the track, replacing a, a kitchen splashback. That's tiled. is not that big a drama. Yeah. Um, And rather than tiling your entire bathroom in it, Mm -hmm. or perhaps looking at, you know, your splashback above your vanity or something like that, you can make those kinds of choices and highlight those areas. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, um, you know, I, I always recommend that if you, you know, getting the bones, right, picking those fixtures and finishes so that they're durable, high performing, low maintenance, don't give you lots of headaches. And then if you do want to be, braver with some stuff, pick some, pick some of those highlighted items and then look at what your self furnishings can do in terms of how you, um, decorate and style the place as a finished home. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's funny because I have so many people who say to me, "Oh, I have fallen in love with this and I just don't know whether I should do it. And it's like, well, if you've loved it for the last 18 months that you've been thinking about your home and you've always kind of kept pinning it and coming back to it chances are you're going to love it for a long time. And I, I don't know about you, but I know I have stuff around me that I've loved for 10, 15, yeah. 20 oh, definitely. years.
0: Yeah.
1: And it's not necessarily on style or on trend, no. um, but it's, it feels like me and it yeah. feels like us as a family. So yeah. I think those kinds of things will always, um, they'll always stand the test of time. Definitely. And, and I think too, we also forget that, you know, a lot of this stuff comes around again. So oh. you know, we, we're we're looking at stuff, you know. You think of something like mid-century modern, which is a really sought-after style. It is yeah, now,
0: yeah.
1: And um and but it was it was not trendy for a very long time. Mm. And even you know, uh, uh, I think it was recently on on um, the living room. They showed a woman who was living in a 1970s-style townhouse, and it was, yeah. and it was fantastic. It was so funky, yeah. and you know, it was. And she just totally embraced that that was her and how she lived, yeah. and you know she and her, and her son were really into that sort of style, yeah, and I think that reflects also that they know themselves they they know themselves and they've they're kind of owning who they are, yeah. and they're detaching that from the need to keep up with others, the need to yeah. perform for others, the need to look a certain way for others, yeah, yeah. so yeah, I think that it, it can be. It can be a really interesting self-discovery exercise. This whole oh, process definitely, well. yeah,
0: renovating. So, <laughs> so, essentially, structures the best thing. Like, so if you want your tall doorways, put your tall doorways in. Put your tall solid doors in. If you if soundproofing your home is is ideal, then invest in that soundproof plaster. Invest in um, if you want the high ceilings, invest in the height. You can't you know, make them higher. Yeah. And
1: the flooring and the flooring. flooring. Yeah. Invest in the flooring. I see, uh, I can't get over how many people are putting hybrid laminate or vinyl floors into their houses at the moment. It breaks my heart because it's the, almost the biggest piece of internal real estate that you have in your home. Um, everything is sitting on it, you know, and if you've done your house properly, it'll be running under all of your joinery in your kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, it'll be uh, an expensive and frustrating thing to have to replace down the track. And yet, People are consistently choosing very low cost products to put on their floor mm. and expecting them to perform and the marketing has done an incredible job of uh, market of selling um, artificial products over the over over and above natural products that mm. have performed for centuries and you know I see um, vinyl laminate and hybrid flooring, which in most cases are so toxic they mm. uh, are incredible volatile organic compounds they're not very well. Um, like they're not very environmentally made the waste production from them. It can be terrible. There are some products. So if you are keen to use that kind of product, then do your research on the sustainability of the business and the sustainability of the product. But most of them in large part are pretty toxic products. And they're also um, there's yeah, they've just got the marketing really nice and it's quite, yeah. And for me, yeah, so bones, uh, structure, you know, those, the things that promote your indoor-outdoor connection that get that natural light working for you, the, f- the functionality of the spaces, how they connect with each other, that acoustic separation that you were talking about, you know, which you can all... You can all think about how when you 're mentally rehearsing and thinking about how you'll furnish that space don't wait until you move in to figure out where your furniture's going to go, yeah. like get a floor plan and put the furniture in it in drawing and see yeah. how that's going to work and then think about that floor real estate yeah. and your electrical lighting's another big one as well oh, definitely. Um, if
0: I definitely think' the
1: fortune. yeah if you can't afford to get all your electrical lighting in place at the point of a build um, or a renovation, then make sure you wire up for it and and uh, have the provision for it to add things down the track so It might be that you can't afford the big feature pendant that you want or it might be that you can't see um, how you're going to budget for perhaps some motorised external blinds or, Mm. you know, anything like that. You can always run the wiring, run it to a blank switch in the wall and then mark it on a plan so that you can have an electrician come back and and attach the light later on down the track. That's much less expensive than leaving it out. And if you're looking at an existing house to buy, check the electricals because they're always an unanticipated additional expense when people are building and renovating. They find that switchboards and things like that need to be completely upgraded in order for them to add new appliances and those kinds of things if they're doing a kitchen reno and uh, and it can be incredibly expensive. And I think too, when you're look looking at a house, just checking the services anyway, where do they run, um, you know, what's the sewerage, what's the water supply like, what's, uh, uh, you know, gas and electrical, all of those kinds of things It's all in the ground and inside the sort of bones of the house. Out of sight, out of mind. (laughs) (laughs) And it's very, very expensive. So um, doing some due diligence on that can be really essential. Yeah.
0: I actually bought a house once from an Irish electrician and I thought, oh, wow, it's so many PowerPoints in this place. And um, once we moved in, we asked what was this PowerPoint doesn't work. Why doesn't it work? Uh, That's where I punched a hole in the wall and I placed a a GPO (laughs) to cover up his you know,.
1: I know <laughs> 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 oh, the house we're in um they were a bit two way switch happy, so oh, you okay. know there's so many switches in the house that operate lights, and so it's literally was this experiment when we moved in of like, okay. What does this switch do? And it was only like somebody would be in a different room and go, hang on, this light's going on and off. And you like, oh why is there, why is there a light switch for that here? You know? so, yeah, it's um it's and this is the thing that when you go to buy a house, you actually spend so little time in there. You know, oftentimes yeah. you might do two or three inspections. And it's not until you're doing the building inspection that you might actually spend some decent amount of time in it. And people, from my experience, they look between their ears and their knees, you know, yeah. so they will walk through a house and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, I remember, um, I went to an open inspection with a friend and she laughed at me because I was turning on taps, I was flushing toilets, I was opening cupboards, yeah. I was, you know, looking under beds to see if big stains on carpet were hidden, you know, all yeah. this, this kind of stuff. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm inspecting the house you know (laughs) and uh, And most people
0: don't do that (laughs) (laughs) so yeah Yeah, you get caught up in the glitz and glamour and the styling that they do these days is pretty amazing cover-up tools I'm sure (laughs)
1: Yeah, and it is. It can be really distracting. Um, And it's, you know, it all goes when you buy that house. It all leaves. Oh, it does. (laughs) It does. You know? Yeah. yeah. So you don't want to be disappointed. Um, You want to actually be buying the house that you know you're buying. So, Yeah. yeah.
0: We will have part two of Undercover Architect Amelia Lee on tomorrow with more insights into buying a home with function in mind rather than trend. Real Estate Right is a real copyright production hosted, written and produced by me, Sue Langada. I would like to thank Podbean for hosting our podcast, Premium Beat for our theme music and Zoom for our video link. If you love this podcast, don't forget to subscribe, rate us with five stars and review us on your favorite podcast service. Thanks for listening to Real Estate Right.